uh, tonight we are going to start a new series uh, in through the book of First Timothy. And I'm calling this series Godliness and Truth because those are the two major themes of First Timothy. And one of the goals of First Timothy, one of the, one of the purposes of why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his disciple Timothy is to address how God has ordained a church, has called a church to be his instruments, to spread a gospel around the world. And we're going to see in this book three pillars of how that's going to work out. Preaching, through preaching of the word of God, meaning through the importance of proclaiming truth. We're going to see how in First Timothy, the emphasis of character, meaning for each one of us to walk godly life, to walk a life that is above reproach, to have high character, to have godliness in the way we walk with the Lord. And we're also going to see the importance of stewardship. And when I talk about stewardship, I'm talking about having order. Meaning each one of us have been given the gift. Each one of us has been given a role. And this role is not so that we can be chaotic, not so that we can do whatever we want, but so that we can fulfill our purpose, our calling to the church, to all of us working together to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And, and, and through these three pillars that, this, that the church is called to do, we will address certain practical issues for your lives. We'll bring down, I hope to bring this series down to your level, to what you may be going through as young adults, as those who may be single, as those who may be engaged, those who may be married, those who have kids, to bring it down to a level to show you guys how everything that the church does is impactful to our entire lives. We are the church. And so and through this book, through this series, we're going to talk about practical issues like the sufficiency of scripture why the gospel is the most important news that the world must hear we will talk about gender roles within the church why each one of us created male and female we will talk about the qualifications of leaders how how are leaders supposed to act and lead and shepherd the church we'll talk about marriage and singleness We'll even touch upon the topic of finance and money and how to steward that. All these topics are contained in the book because all these topics are meant for us to practically live out the faith, to live out the faith in godliness and truth. And tonight, we're going to go through an introduction, introduction to this book. And we will begin by looking at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, the apostle Paul and his disciple Timothy. And we'll see how this relationship works towards the furtherment of the gospel. Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. He calls Timothy uh, his spiritual child. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says this about Timothy. He says, I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And here, Paul writes this personal letter to Timothy. I mean, just, just imagine getting a personal letter from someone you look up to, maybe an, an older discipler, or maybe from your, from your mother or your father, from an older brother or sister, from someone who just knows you very, very well, 
someone who knows your struggles, your strengths and weaknesses, your joys, your celebrations, one who's been walking with you in your life in an intimate way. Imagine just getting a letter from them and what that must mean. I mean, this is something that we do to one another. We love it when we get letters from those whom we love. And here we see, we see Paul write these letters to his disciples. We have in scripture two letters to Timothy, one letter to Titus, and another letter to Philemon. And in each one of these letters, we see how Paul's heart for his disciples truly overflows for them. And we get an inside look into that. We get an inside look into their relationship and we see how this relationship is supposed to be a representation of our relationship with one another, with the people we walk closely with. We're not meant to be you know, spiritual fathers to every single Christian, but we do indeed have those intimate relationships, people we are able to walk with, people we are willing to go to war with. And so here we're going to take a look at this relationship. And so take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read the passage for us. For us, I'm reading from the ESV. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or an endless genealogy, which promotes speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is, by faith. In these four short verses, and I included verses three and four because it helps us tie into the rest of the theme of 1 Timothy, in this short introduction, we will come to see three fundamental qualities Three fundamental qualities to a gospel ministry. And the first one we will see is this. It's not working. But the first one is remember your calling. Remember your calling, verse 1. When we see here in verse 1, Paul introduced himself as an apostle. An apostle of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ here is indeed the one who sends Paul. The word apostle here means one who has been sent with a specific commission to do something as one's representative. In other words, to be an apostle is to be an ambassador. To be a representative of someone, of the one who sent you. And that person who sent you, sent you with a purpose with a specific commission. And so Paul here is an apostle sent by Christ. And we know from Paul's life, we read in the book of Acts, how Paul wasn't always an apostle. We know from his testimony that he was once a persecutor to church. And yet here we see him as one who's been sent by the one he persecuted. He used to persecute Christ. And now he is building up the church of Christ. Paul was saved and he was commissioned by Christ to be his representative specifically to the Gentiles. And we know this. We know that Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. And it says here in verse 1 that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by command 
of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. The word command here is in direct charge. It's, it's a charge to someone that requires a mandatory obedience. It's saying here that Paul was sent by Christ under command of God to obey him, to obey this command, and to not, to not deviate from the mission, but to be focused upon what he was called to do. This is what it means when we say he accepts Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That he's not just a Savior, but he's also our Lord. He is our commander. He is the one who has called us to a great mission. In other words, we we do not believe in God and expect God to suddenly just help us. We are chosen by God. And therefore, we believe in God. And now we align with his will, with his goals. When you go to the next to the next point on here, we see here that believing in Christ as Lord and Savior aligns your life with God's goal. It's like a player that joins a team, and when a imagine a star player join join a sports team, and and the star player comes into the team, the first team meeting they get, and this player tells the team, "Hey, everything that we do is so that I can win." the MVP trophy so that I can score the most points so that I can get the most medals and most trophies. That is not how a team works. You see, when a player joins a team, you align yourself with the team's goal, the team's vision. In the same way, when we come to know God, we come to believe in God, we come to saving faith, We're not coming to saving faith so that God can help us win our own trophies. We are now joining God's team to accomplish God's purpose. We're aligning our lives with his goal. And what is his goal? Well, it says here that God is our savior. God is our savior. And what this this term, our savior, to call God our savior is actually a term that's specifically used in the pastoral epistles here. Pastoral epistles meaning 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. The only time in the New Testament when God is called our savior. And what does that mean? Well, if we take a look at 1st Timothy chapter 2, you scan forward to verse, I have it on the slide, but it's not going for some reason. Uh, verse 3 to 4 says this. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're saying that God is our Savior means God is the one who desires all people to be saved. God desires all people to be saved. And so God here, God is looking upon this world. He's looking upon every single person, every single soul. He's saying, I wish you were mine. And so when Paul here is being sent by God under his command, he's sent by God to fulfill this will to fulfill this task, to bring the gospel to the nations, to bring the gospel to each person that they may come to know Christ and be saved. To come to know Jesus Christ, our hope. 
Meaning Jesus Christ, our reward, Jesus Christ, our crown, our Lord and Savior. The application here is there is a reminder that when we are saved, we are all commissioned to do this work. That the gospel work here is commissioned for all believers, that we are all sent here to do this good work, to bring the gospel to all nations, to bring the gospel to all people so that they may know Christ and be saved. This is what we are called to do. And scripture calls this kind of gospel work as good works. It's pretty simple. I'm on the next slide, by the way. Scripture causes gospel work good works. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is describing our salvation, being saved by grace through faith alone. And this is the purpose. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we shall walk in them. We are saved by grace so that we can be in good works, so that we can walk in good works. And that good work is bringing the gospel to the nations. This is not just a separate facet of your life. Coming to church is not just a separate facet of your life. Your Christian walk, your faith is not just under, ticked off underneath the religion box of your resume. This is your entirety. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. People who are zealous for good works. This is our passion. This is what drives us. This is what energizes us. This is everything that we want to do. And so church, what, what drives you? What drives you forward in your life? What is it about your confession of faith that truly molds you and identifies you? Recognize that even this fellowship here tonight or whatever church you may be intend to is not just a place where you receive fellowship. It's also a place where you contribute to the ministry, a place where you come to do what you, we are all called to do, to do what Jesus Christ says, to love God and to love others. Church is where that is done. And from the church that spreads out to our communities, and from the communities, it spreads out even further out. We plant more churches to impact more communities. We do mission trips to impact other nations. All of it revolves around the church accomplishing this goal, to love God and to love others. We are called to this good work. We are called to this. And so we're going to see how this plays out. And first, I mean, how the church plays a role in this and how we, all of us, each of you individually, each one of us are part of this body. And we are all called to do this, to steward our gifts, to accomplish this goal, which leads us to point number two, to invest in your church, to invest in your church. And we see in verse two, 
Paul writes to Timothy, whom he calls my true child in the faith. My true child. And Paul here calls Timothy his true child because, because sadly, there are those whom Paul has reached out to, whom Paul has disciple, who have left the faith, who have gone wayward in their faith. He lists two, for example, later on in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verse 20. He calls them by name, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Those two have blasphemed against God, to whom he knows. And so Timothy here is his true child faith, one who has endured in the faith, one who has not left the faith, one who has not blasphemed against God. And he is a child of faith because faith is what unites them together. Faith is what ties them together, is faith in Christ. And so we see here that this letter, this letter is addressed to Timothy because this letter is about building up the church family. Paul's and Timothy's relationship is not meant to be unique. It's meant to be a template for the rest of us to follow, for the rest of us to imitate. We see, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. This is a family. And we will touch upon this passage more in detail, but we see here that this focuses upon building a church family up together, united together in faith for the gospel. And so we can say that gospel work starts with the church. It starts with the church loving one another with good deeds or good works. Because if we cannot love one another, fellow believers in the faith, how can we truly love the rest of the world, right? We must learn first to love one another because we are a family. And that means this begins with us coming to know who we are in Christ. And this is a joyous thing to recognize that we are, when you are saved, you are also adopted into this family of God. And 1 John lays this out for us well, uh, just to go through a few verses. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, says this, it says, if you, but if we walk in the light, because God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. We see here, as salvation, we, be, we are now in fellowship with one another. We are now tied together with one another. We have a relationship by blood, by Jesus' blood with one another. And so then we must live that way. And 1 John keeps talking about 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love, for he who does not love his brother whom he has not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He, John here is saying that if you truly love God, you will not hate your brother. You will love him. This is what it means to be saved, to be part of his family, to love one another. How do we love one another? It's through sacrifice. First John 
3.16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers. I mean, this is, this is really it, right? Sacrifice is really what ties people together. When you're willing to sacrifice for another person, it draws you closer together, does it not? I mean, this is not an unknown concept to this world, right? Calling a community like this a family, it's not unknown. We, I mean, we, we hear the word family thrown around all over the place. We think about fast and furious, the you know, Vin Diesel calls everyone his family. Um, and we, we, we hear about athletes talk about their teams as family. We even hear, we even refer to our companies, right? But before I became a pastor, I was working at a company called LifeRay. And every time we had a new employee, we'll say, welcome to the LifeRay family. And we're, we understand that the word family is thrown around a lot. I mean, people will even call those who just share similar interests, family, right? We talk about those who, we talk about, you know, people who maybe have, all, all have iPhones. We talk about joining the iPhone family, or we talk about uh, the better family, the Android family. And, and we, we see here how there can even be family rivalries, right, between the two. And then all of a sudden, we see West Side Story happening. Uh, it, there's all these family relationships happening around us. We understand this concept. And we, and we also understand with the world around us that it that the family life grows closer when they sacrifice for one another. Right? When they're willing to say, hey, look beyond their needs and look to the needs of the person around them. The church is no different. The church builds up as a family in the same way. Through sacrifice. Through saying that no deed is too big or too small, that time is not of the essence, that the person's well-being is what matters more. But the church, we're able to do this, not simply because we share the same interests, but because our Savior, Jesus Christ, did that for us when he laid down his life on the cross for our sins to bring us together. We have the greatest example of sacrifice, one that's truly selfless, one that's perfect in every way, you see, when we are able to build this, this kind of family together, this kind of church family together, to sacrifice for one another, to, to be able to call someone my true child in the faith. When we're able to do that, then when we reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ and invite them to the church, we're inviting them to join this loving family. Right? If we were to invite others out on the street to join this family and we are dysfunctional, would they want to join the church? They would just see arguments. They will see us not living out the gospel. And no, I'm not saying we must be perfect because we certainly aren't. We are not perfect. But we do want to demonstrate what we preach. And what we preach in the gospel is repentance. Repentance of sins. Forgiveness and selfless love. And we're able to demonstrate that through the way we can reconcile one another, through the way we can walk with one another, and through, our, through pains and suffering and sorrows, and also through celebrations and joys. We're inviting others when to come to know Christ and join this kind of family. 
And so invest in, into your church because that makes for important gospel work. And then hold to the truth. And while verse three and four really belongs into the next passage here, I included it here because it provides a pretty good overview of the issues that Paul is addressing in this letter. And so I'll get more into this next time when we come together and when I preach from verse three to 11. Um, but for now, just taking a look at verse three and four, let's, let's try to understand what the importance of truth, the importance of why Paul continues to tell his church to hold on to the truth. Now, this is not the first time Paul has encouraged Timothy in the Ephesian church to hold to the truth. Back in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, when Paul was leaving Ephesus and he was meeting with the Ephesian elders and they were crying over this departure, Paul encourages them and says this, Acts 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You see, Paul knew the dangers. Paul knew the dangers that the church will face once it leaves. And so he urges Timothy here, to remain in Ephesus, right? He says, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus. So what? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, not to speak of twisted things. Paul here says here that he charges him, that you may charge them. Here the word charge is more than an instruction. It's, it's command. A command from a superior to a lower-ranking officer, one that demands obedience. Paul here, he doesn't specify which certain person. He just simply says certain persons. We know later two that are named, but there could be more. Paul doesn't give much detail about them. He doesn't want to spread gossip, but he mainly urges Timothy to be his representative, his authority there, to continue to encourage the church to hold on to truth. And Timothy here is charged to do two things, to make sure that they do not teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Now, and I don't get into the specific of what these myths and genealogies are, but we, what we understand is that these things, these different doctrines, these endless genealogies, myths, they promote speculation. They promote this way of thinking that's false, that's vain, that's useless. Excuse me. But just kind of give you a quick example, you know, what, what, uh, what a, a myth may sound like in today's terms. I was hearing today, um, I heard today on, on the news that Elon Musk recently said that he believes we are currently living in a computer simulation. That we are just computer simulated AIs running from, and it's our future selves our, the future humankind has built this community simulator and we are just 
running through the simulation. And that's what he says we are. And, and it's just, it's ridiculous. And they, they, and more and more people might even believe him because this guy, Elon Musk, the creator of Tesla, you know, and the guy who wants to send us to space is doing these crazy things. He's smart. He must know his stuff. Right. And, 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 and he's, he proclaims something like this and people believe him or people at least speculate about it. Can this be true? Can it not be? I mean, or do we truly live in the matrix? It's, this is, this is something that it just makes us pursue useless speculation. It deviates us from the truth. But one thing we can think about, the reason why someone would think that we may perhaps we live in a computer simulation, perhaps we're like SimCity, and we're just acting according to someone else's clicks and the way they created us. The reason why people may think that way is because at their core, they want to know their purpose, right? In their core, they want to know why they're created. In their core, they want to know what is the purpose of life? Why do I exist? What is the identity of a human being? And so to, to, to devote ourselves to these myths and these endless genealogies that to speculate over our origins, while they don't promote the gospel, they oftentimes also take us away from it, deviate us away from the truth, deviates away from God, the true creator, the one who created every single person, every single one of you in his image for the purpose of worshiping him. That's God. That's the truth. And that's revealed to us clearly here in scripture that God has created each one of us, each person in this world with a purpose. We take a look here in the end of verse four says here calls says that we are to devote ourselves to the stewardship from God, the stewardship from God. The, the, The word stewardship can also be translated as order. It's, Jesus Christ uses this word to talk about manage, managing in a parable. And in, in, in one of his parables, he says, this is a manager over resources. And he uses the same word steward for order. And what this speaks to, it speaks to the purpose of the church. It speaks to the plan of God. It speaks to how God has ordained the church to fulfill his plan. And within that plan, there is structure, there is order, there are goals, there is a vision. God has everything laid out for us. The church is built to accomplish this, to accomplish the spread of the gospel so that he may be a savior to all people. And this is done through faith. This is done through faith. That's what faith is. When we say we have faith in God, it means we are stewarding our God-given roles, talents, and resources to use it all for the spread of the gospel, for the work of the gospel, 
to do good deeds. What we see here, what we see here, what we'll come to see throughout this book in First Timothy, is that gospel work is focused and grounded in the truth. In the truth of God. In the truth of Christ. Truth is what God has revealed to us in scripture. And we are to be lovers of this truth. Truth is what must define us. We will see, we, we see this throughout scripture. For instance, Jesus talks about this throughout the gospel of John. For instance, in, in John chapter 8, verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, when we come to know the truth of God, we are free from our sins. We are free from what blinds us, and we can see clearly of what's going on in this world. When the truth releases us in this way, then the truth is what will continue to help us grow in Christ as well. Jesus says exactly this, John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means make them holy, separate them from this world in the truth. Your word is truth. And the reason why we are to spend our time in scripture, to study it, to know the truth, is because through scripture, we come to know Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the truth here is important because the truth is what, is what solidifies our love for one another and for this world. That the love that the church has for one another, the love that we ought to have for one another, is not just a love that's based on feelings, it's not just love that's based on giving and receiving, but it's a love that's based upon the truth of God. It's based upon a fact revealed to us in scripture. That fact is, we have, is that we have a God who loves and saves us. We have a God who says he so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to the world to die for our sins. We have a God who says, I love you, and I will redeem you. I will save you from your sins. I will wipe every tear away, and I will restore you so that you may be perfect, so that you may be my child, my son and daughter. This truth is what, what grounds us. And what spurs us on, what reminds us of our purpose. It is in this truth that we ought to build our church upon. It's the way we ought to live our lives in godliness. We will see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, saying that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. I mean, how one ought to live, how one ought to love one another, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We live in this way. We live in this way so that we can represent the truth well to the rest of the world. And so recognize that we are indeed a church of Jesus Christ. 
meaning Jesus Christ is the one who commissions us. We are sent by him. Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is what unites us to God the Father, and he is indeed the truth. If you are here new of us today and you do not know Jesus, that you have not proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you want to know more about this truth, I invite you to talk to one of your friends. I'll, be, I'll love to engage with you as well. I'd love to show you that this family, this Christian family, is worth it. But it's not worth it just for your own gain, but it's worth it because you get to have Christ. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ, who was raised again on the third day to secure our hope. Jesus Christ, who indeed is Lord and Savior. Come to know him. You will come to know the truth and you'll come to know this family you'll come to know this joy that's everlasting eternal you'll come to know what it truly means to be human to be made in god's image the church is is more than a social club we are not united because of a common interest not because of a common religion, not because of a common philosophy. We are united because we have a common Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, when we are saved by Christ, when we are washed by his blood, and we are redeemed by him, the church is really truly where true humanity is displayed. It's where God redeems and is now currently working in all of us to, to transform us into the image of Christ, to, re, to bring us back to our original purpose, to worship him. In other words, in, within, within these church, within the church, we come to find true human morality, true human behavior, true human culture, society, order, all that's found within the church. Within the church, we come to find humanity's true purpose to love God and to love others. And this just changes everything. The way we think about the church and the Christian walk, it's not just a blip on your schedule, but it's to recognize that the church is not coming to church. The church is who we are. We are the church. We don't just attend church. We are church and we do this by walking together in love and in truth and more than throughout first timothy as we get deeper into this we will see that god has given us a structure an order a stewardship a framework for how this is to play out through the church family through being a family disciple makers, through being male or female, through being single and married, through being servant and servant and leaders, all of us being placed in our proper roles to exercise our gifts in the faithful way so that we can accomplish the purpose of bringing the gospel to the world, to bring more people into this family, to bring more worshipers for God. And so the big idea for tonight is this. Prepare yourself for the gospel work. Prepare yourself for the gospel work by remembering your calling in Christ, investing in the church of Christ, and holding on 
to the truth of Christ. And it's in Christ that we are able to accomplish all these things. And so let's pursue him. And as we pursue him, he'll help us grow to pursue one another and to pursue the people in this world, to help them come to know our Lord and Savior. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you, God, for your grace. A grace that saves us, a grace that redeems us, a grace that brings us closer to one another, a grace that adopts us into your family. And we come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that each one of us, that we will truly walk with you, that we'll come to know Christ, who is indeed our guide, who indeed walks with us that we may be transformed into the image of Christ. That, Lord, we will draw closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that throughout this series, we will continue to see how this fellowship, this church, how each one of us can continue to grow in such a way that looks to others, that looks to love people, that looks to love you, that looks to walk in godliness, that looks to proclaim truth. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will grow in this way and that, Father, this fellowship will flourish because of that, that this church will continue to grow because of that and grow not in terms of numbers, not in terms of size, but grow in terms of faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that we will walk in godliness and truth. So thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you, God, for being here with us. I pray all this in your name. Amen.